during the gold rush and in the early decades of the state before roads were paved and railroads were established, transporting people, goods, and gold was as scary and challenging as it was necessary. Back then, no one was more admired than the fearless expert stagecoach drivers called whips who piloted their stages through gold country. And one of these whips, perhaps the best known and most famous, had a lifelong secret. Hi there, and welcome to Here's a Thought, the blogcast for people who overthink. I'm your host, Jan M. Flynn, and as a confirmed ruminator myself, I know what it's like. Sometimes you just need a break from those voices in your head. So once a week, I invite you to take a few minutes off and listen to the ones in mine. Although Women's History Month was officially last month, March, I'm always fascinated by how many women through history have defied or overcome or simply ignored the arbitrary restrictions placed on them by society, especially since these are usually the stories we weren't taught in our history classes. Recently, I wrote an article for a publication on the Medium.com platform called History of Women, edited by the talented and resourceful Linda Carroll. If you're at all intrigued by history, I urge you to give History of Women a look. I find it entertaining, informative, and often eye-opening, and I'll include a link in the show notes. I'm also rather fond of tales from the Old West, as problematic as representations of that period of history, for instance, the whole Cowboys versus Indians trope, can be. As is so often the case, a little digging turns up true tales that upend the stereotypes. And so it is with the remarkable story of Charlie Parkhurst, known as the toughest of the tough, the one called the boss driver of the road in early California. It's also a story of the first woman alleged to have voted for president of the United States, 40 years before California women were granted suffrage. The thing is, they are one and the same person. In Gold Rush, California, stagecoach drivers were like rock stars. During California's early rough-and-tumble years, getting from places like San Jose to Oakland or Stockton to Mariposa, and especially the hair-raising route over Mount Madonna to Santa Cruz, was no joke. Roads were unpaved and uncertain in bad weather, and highway robbery wasn't just an expression. Drivers with enough skill, grit, and horse savvy to maneuver a six-horse team in these conditions were highly regarded, and among the very best of the California whips was Charlie Parkhurst. Also known as One-Eyed Charlie, Mountain Charlie, and Six-Horse Charlie, Parkhurst expertly transported passengers, goods, and gold from outposts to cities like San Francisco and Sacramento, navigating one-way dirt roads around narrow mountain turns and fording streams. Known for wearing long-fingered beaded gloves, a fondness for whiskey, chewing tobacco, and inventive profanity, Parkhurst also fully embodied the term whip and could, according to some accounts, slice open an envelope or smack a cigar out of a man's mouth from 20 feet away. One bandit reportedly lost an eye to Parkhurst's well-aimed whip. It was work guaranteed to be hard on the body, and by 1873, when railroads were quickly making stagecoaches obsolete, Parkhurst switched to operating a horse-changing station and later raised cattle on a ranch between Santa Cruz and Watsonville. Crippled with arthritis by age 64, 
Parkhurst characteristically resisted seeing a doctor for the stubborn pain in his throat. He died alone on December 18, 1879, of tongue cancer. And then came the startling revelation. When neighbors learned of Parkhurst's death and came to lay out the body for burial, they were in for a surprise. It turned out that tough old Mountain Charlie was biologically a woman. A doctor who performed a posthumous examination found that Parkhurst had given birth at least once. One account, possibly apocryphal, said baby clothes were discovered in a small trunk in Parkhurst's cabin. In those days, when it wasn't exactly recognized that a person's gender assignment at birth wasn't necessarily the one with which they'd identify, the discovery about Charlie created a sensation, receiving national coverage. The obituary in the Sacramento Bee, published a few days afterward, read, in part, On Sunday last, there died a person known as Charlie Parkhurst, aged 67, who was well known to old residents as a stage driver. He was, in early days, accounted one of the most expert manipulators of the reins who ever sat on the box of a coach. It was discovered, when friendly hands were preparing him for his final rest, that Charlie Parkhurst was unmistakably a well-developed woman. Charlie Parkhurst was born Charlotte Darkey Parkhurst in 1812. The records of Parkhurst's early years are muddled and sometimes contradictory. What is clear is that Parkhurst was born in Sharon, Vermont in 1812 and was one of three siblings. Their mother died the same year, and the oldest of the three, Charles D., died the following year. According to most accounts, the two surviving siblings, Charlotte and Maria, were taken to an orphanage in Lebanon, New Hampshire. Whether this was at the behest of their father Ebenezer is unclear. Around the age of 12, Charlotte apparently ran away from the orphanage, which was also referred to as the poorhouse in at least one account, and began presenting as male. Working in stables, or possibly on an uncle's farm until they had a falling out, Parkhurst, now Charlie, became a skilled rider and handler of horses. According to one source, he, and from this point on, I'm using the pronoun that Charlie himself would adopt throughout the rest of his life, found work in a stable in Worcester, Massachusetts. A different source says that he met another Ebenezer, one Ebenezer Belch, who owned a livery stable in Providence, Rhode Island. In this version of history, Belch took Charlie under his wing and brought him back to Rhode Island, treating him like a son and teaching him advanced skills in horse handling and driving. That included driving a coach, beginning with one horse and working up to a team of six. Charlie continued working for Balch for several years. Sources do agree that two of Charlie's friends headed to California in 1849, no doubt drawn by the opportunities that abounded during the gold rush that had begun that year. There, they successfully established the California Stage Company, Charlie was now in his late 30s and looking for opportunities as well. He sailed from Boston to Panama, and while crossing overland across the Isthmus, which travelers had to do in those pre-Panama Canal days, he was recruited by an owner of a drayage business, which was the equivalent of a modern-day trucking company, in San Francisco. It wasn't long after arriving in California that Charlie lost the use of his left eye after being kicked in the face by a horse. From then on, he wore a black leather eye patch over his blind left eye, and that led to the first of his nicknames, One-Eyed Charlie, and only added to his reputation for toughness. At some point, 
Charlie went to work for his friend who owned the California Stage Company. For the next couple of decades, he drove six-in-hand teams for them and for Wells Fargo, pulling stagecoaches all through Northern California, earning a reputation as an expert whip who drove fearlessly without being a daredevil. The occupational hazards were considerable. Traveling by stagecoach in those days was no pleasure cruise. The roads were often barely more than trails, twisting steeply up and down canyons and through the mountains. A British writer, J.G. Player Froud, traveled via stagecoach along some of these routes in 1872. In his account of those journeys, in his book Six Months in California, Player Froud recommended that travelers, quote, have as little to do with stages as possible. A stage journey is an infliction to be borne in order to travel from one place to another. He cited the endless jolting, the bad food, and the ceaseless monotony. At least the boredom was relieved at intervals by terror. Player Froud, who was making these travels during the same time that Charlie would have been driving these routes, learned to admire the drivers. He wrote, The Western stage driver has iron nerve and rough coarse manners. Reckless and daring, he is yet more to be trusted than a less bold and more cautious driver. The only way to go down those mountain grades is to rush it. Meanwhile, there sits the driver with one foot firmly pressed on the brake, his horses well in hand, taking them round the corners. And stage robbers were a constant threat. This was still very much the Wild West, and since stages often carried gold in their strong boxes, they were tempting targets for bandits. Parkhurst had a reputation for facing down desperados and rarely, if ever, was held up. In 1901, Muncie's magazine recounted what allegedly happened when an outlaw tried to ambush Charlie's stage along the Grass Valley route. He was small, but full of nerve and resource. Once a robber halted him as he was lashing his horses through a mud hole that threatened to bog him down. Parkhurst's whip was in the air when the robbers sprang out of the brush. Down came the lash across the road agent's eyes. The fellow was picked up a day later, utterly blinded, but they saved one eye so he could see well enough to pick jute during his term in San Quentin. Another popular story, disputed in some sources, tells of how Charlie brought down the notorious robber Sugarfoot. As Sugarfoot's outlaw gang surrounded Charlie's stage and made the usual demand to throw down the gold box, Parkhurst cracked his whip to deliberately cause the six-horse team to bolt. As the coach plunged along, Charlie turned and fired his revolver at the robbers. In this account, worthy of a black-and-white western, he plugged Sugarfoot himself right in the gut. The bandit leader's body was later found alongside the road. Cue the buzzards. Whether there's any truth to that story or not, Charlie Parkhurst was by all accounts well-liked and respected for his reliability in safely delivering passengers and goods to their destinations in even the harshest conditions. While there is no way to confirm that Charlie Parkhurst actually cast a vote in the presidential election of 1868, he was listed on the official voter rolls of that year, more than 40 years before women would have the right to vote in California. Following the revelation of his assigned gender after Charlie died, much was made of him being the first woman to have cast a vote for president of the United States. The fire station in Soquel, California, one of the towns where Parkhurst was a well-known figure, to this day bears a plaque that reads, The first ballot by a woman in an American presidential election was cast on this site 
November 3rd, 1868, by Charlotte Charlie Parkhurst, who masqueraded as a man for much of her life. She was a stagecoach driver in the motherlode country during the gold rush days, and shot and killed at least one bandit. In her later years, she drove a stagecoach in this area. She died in 1879. Not until then was she found to be female. She is buried in Watsonville at the Pioneer Cemetery. History doesn't tell us why Parkhurst decided to live as a man. From today's perspective, it's tempting to conclude that Charlie Parkhurst was a trans person. Indeed, if Parkhurst were alive today, he, or they, might identify as gay or trans. But there is no way to know that. There were other compelling reasons why a woman of that time might have made such a choice. In Charlie's day, the options for women were decidedly limited. They could be wives, laundresses, seamstresses, teachers, or sex workers, and that was about it. Women were not going to be hired as stagecoach drivers, nor were they ever likely to pull in the kind of wages that a skilled whip could. A 2019 article in KQED News quotes historian Dom Romsberg, the chair of Women's and Gender Studies at Sonoma State University, who said of Charlie Parkhurst, There's all sorts of reasons, beyond perhaps a true expression of one's gendered self, that someone like Parkhurst might choose to live as a man for many years. Maybe most remarkable is how well Parkhurst kept his secret, and for how long. There is no record of anyone discovering Charlie's assigned gender during his lifetime, and many of his close compatriots expressed pure astonishment when it was revealed, including some of the tough old sourdoughs who had spent nights camping out with him along the road. There's no record of Charlie ever having had a girlfriend. Maybe that's because Charlie was, in fact, a straight woman who chose to live as a man for the autonomy and respect it offered. Or maybe pursuing an intimate relationship with anyone of any gender, especially in a time that was less tolerant even than now, meant too great a risk of blowing a closely guarded secret. Some accounts say that near the end of his life, Charlie made vague references to some of his close friends to the effect that there was something about him they should know, but he didn't elaborate further before his death. In any case, as Romsberg points out, Charlie Parkhurst represents an important part of trans history. Whatever Parkhurst's true gender expression may have been, his, or hers, or theirs, is a story of defying the limitations placed on women then and now. Back in Rhode Island, in commemoration of Parkhurst, the Providence Journal wrote, The only people who have occasion to be disturbed by the career of Charlie Parkhurst are the gentlemen who have so much to say about women's sphere and the weaker vessel. It is beyond question that one of the soberest, pleasantest, most expert drivers in this state, and one of the most celebrated of the world-famed California drivers, was a woman. And is it not true that a woman had done what woman can do? Thanks for listening to this episode of Here's a Thought with Jan M. Flynn. New episodes land weekly, so please hit the plus sign on your podcast app to follow the show. And I would love your feedback and ideas for topics to overthink on an upcoming episode, so you'll find easy, risk-free ways to reach out to me in the show notes. Until next time, may you remain curious and questioning. May life continue to bring you interesting surprises. And may all your thoughts be good ones.